Thursday edition of Smith and Jones. Paul Jones, Eric Smith with you. And we're coming to you the morning after a victory for the Toronto Raptors. Four in a row now for the Raptors as they get it done yesterday over the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo was not playing for Milwaukee. Drew Holiday was still in there. Chris Middleton was still in there. At least for last night, DeMarcus Cousins was in there. Oh, he only went for a double-double shot, 63%, and then got cut after the ball game. I don't understand that. But from a Raptors perspective, four in a row and above 500, Jonesy. And we started talking about if this team wants to, to make a bit of a run and recover you know, this season, they're going to have to pick up some wins over teams that perhaps you didn't think they might win against. And, well, yesterday was one of those games. Again, it certainly helps that Giannis wasn't in there, but that was one where you look at the schedule and go, okay, back-to-back in Milwaukee, you're facing the champs. That's probably going to be a game for the champs. And the Raptors come away with the win. Now 4-2 and on the second night of a back-to-back, and again above 500, sitting pretty going to their game against the Jazz on Friday. Well, 4-2 and uh, on the second night of back-to-backs, Eric, considering last year they were 3-13. and on the second all night. season yeah all season yeah on the second night of back-to-back so uh good for them um and you know you would look at it and conventional wisdom would say yeah uh, you know back-to-back uh traveling to milwaukee uh, looking at the standings and all of that stuff and you you would probably give the edge to milwaukee but man in this first of all that's why they play and in this era of you know of covid and not knowing who's in or who's out of the lineup you know the raptors you know they got it done and and give them credit and and it probably speaks to the resiliency that this team has or has always had um under 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 nick nurse and uh, well never mind i'll go back even to the to the days of of Dwayne casey when you know, he talked, and Nick was one of his assistants, and he talked about the attitude you have to have on the second night of a back-to-back, that it is mental. And, I mean, they, they had a great start, and then you look at what happened in the second quarter. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you just thought, okay, well, yeah, maybe this one is going to go to the champs. They're, they're kind of getting run out of the building here, 77 points. And when you would expect the legs to go, in the second half, you know, third quarter, second half, on the second night of the back-to-back, that's when they really picked it up. Like, they held Milwaukee in terms of their their uh, their defense to half of what they had, less than half of what they had in the first half. Mm-hmm. And then they held them to under 30% shooting. So give the defense credit because they weren't getting it done in the first half. And they sure turned it around in the second half. Well, and that's one of the things we discussed on yesterday's show. And if you missed it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, download it, rate it, review it, get it wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, or otherwise. We talked about the defense. One of the things we mentioned with Alvin Williams being on a string. Well, they didn't look like they were on a string in the first half, but in the second half, they looked like they were on the thickest string, longest string imaginable. They were out there just picking each other up. Jonesy, I looked down at the screen yesterday. Uh, with I think three minutes, maybe I want to say it was like 3:06 to go, and the Bucks had 27 points in the second half. Not in the fourth quarter, in the second half. Like they end up finishing with only 34, but 
eight, I believe, of those 34 came in the last three minutes of the game in garbage time. And it wasn't quite garbage time. They were trying to make a comeback, but Toronto was still up by double figures. But 27 points total in the second half with three minutes left in the game. That's unbelievable after you gave up 77 in the first half. An 11-point third quarter after giving up 42 and 35, respectively, in quarters one and two. I don't know what was said at halftime, but that to me, again, I don't care who's I don't care if you're playing you, me, Lance, Bafo, and I don't know, Santos. You throw the five of us out there on the second night of a back-to-back, we might have a pretty good chance against some teams. After If we put up 77 points in the first half, right, and we're facing yeah. a team that should have tired legs, that should be dog-tired, they came in you know, late and time changed and all this and whatever else, and they found more energy and they found more focus, the Raptors, to be able to completely flip the script and write a completely different ending and play a completely different game in the second half. I don't care who you're playing against. That is ridiculously impressive. Yeah, it is. Um, and I just thought at halftime, a couple things. Um, this was not the, the Toronto team defensively that we have been used to seeing. They were, they were very disjointed. Um, and I think they were, they were living off their offense. They shot the ball so well in the first quarter, quarter and a half. Milwaukee started to pick it up, but it's like, ah. And you knew this, and this is the other thing, too. Well, you, you, they're not going to. They're not going to keep this up. Milwaukee, you know, 13 made threes in the first half. Uh, nah, they, 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 they can't keep it up. But you can't bank on that. And I thought Toronto picked up the energy and the activity in the second half. Their defense was, was much better. And, I mean, there were times in the first half their challenges to shots were what I call the 5 o'clock challenge. You know, when... when Fred Van Vliet's out there shooting or Pascal's out there shooting with Earl Watson and the coach just throws him the ball and then the challenge is you just kind of run toward him like you're waving goodbye at somebody. That, they, they didn't even have those and Milwaukee was making them. And then the second half, they picked it up. They really, really did. I, I, thought, that was, I thought that was a big difference. Um, you know, their defense, their activity, and, you know, we see that lineup out there again with the three big starters in in Siakam, um, Ananobi, and Barnes, and then they throw in Boucher and Achua off the bench. Uh, you, you know, you got, you got five, as Al- Alvin says, five hoopers, five guys who don't really have a position, but they can kind of do everything. They can guard defensively inside and out. They're long enough to challenge shots on offense. They can shoot it from the outside. They can put it on the floor. Uh, they can play, make, and pass. Uh, you know, you don't have a point guard, but you ha- do have Scotty and, and Pascal out there. So uh, I'm, I'm looking for more of those lineups. And then I really give a tip of the cap to Justin Champagny. You know, I saw him in Vegas at Summer League. Him and there's three of them. Ishmael Wainwright, another one. I thought, oh, you know, these guys might have a chance. And Champagny's just carved out a role. He has. He, he pursues the ball. Um, rebounding is a measure of effort, and uh, he, he's always around the ball. He, he 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 goes to the glass. Nobody boxes out these days, and he's like, okay, I'm taking advantage of that. Ball goes up. I mean, he came in the game and scored like a couple buckets right away, like within the first 
two or three minutes he was out there. He was out there only out there for 11 minutes. Six points, two rebounds. He got he got two buckets like right away, just from being around the ball. So there's another guy that you know is is climbing the charts and really pushing his way into the rotation. You know, it, it seems like he's well ahead of Malachi and and uh, Delano right now in terms of Nick Nurse's rotation. Yeah, I I, I mean, I mean even just look at last night they didn't play. On the second yeah. night of a back-to-back, no disrespect, they didn't touch the floor, Banton and Flynn. Um, and that's actually, you, you set me up perfectly, Jonesy. It's like we've worked together for a while, because one thing I'm staring at right now, if there's one uh, concern, I suppose, with this team, is the second unit. And maybe, maybe, Nick Nurse is starting to settle into something he's found, something he likes, uh, with Birch, Boucher, Achua, Champagny. Uh, who knows? Maybe by Friday night we see a ton of Banton again. Maybe we see Malachi Flynn uh, and others. Bonga when 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 available, and and obviously Utah Watson, obviously Mahaluk not available uh, with COVID protocols. They've been in the mix all year, but he's been clearly looking for some sort of answer, some sort of crew, some sort of consistency. And the scoring wasn't necessarily there last night. You got 15 points total from the second unit. Bench scoring 34-15 in favor of the Bucks. The rebounding was pretty good from the second unit. But when you're not getting a lot of lift from your reserves, Jones, you look at the starters again last night, everybody played 30-plus. The lowest was Gary Trent at 31. Van Vliet at 39 minutes. Siakam at 42. Barnes, I know he's a young dude, but we noticed he had a little bit of a hitch in his step on Tuesday night in the victory over the Spurs. And there he is on a back-to-back playing 38 last night. And one of his lowest scoring efforts of the season, only two of six for six points. That's one concern I guess I have, or one thing where I'm looking going, okay, the starters are logging a lot of minutes, and not just every once in a while, almost every night. Yeah, it is a concern. Um, uh, look, I, I think it was it's unfair to compare to Milwaukee's bench because of um, how deep they are. I mean, if, if Giannis is in there, then you know a guy like Jordan Wara gets pushed to the bench, and mm-hmm. they they just have more scoring depth. I mean, I don't know why they. Uh, it's got to be some kind of monetary or or cap reason why they they're not keeping Cousins or uh, he he's been he he's been really good for them. But it's kind of unfair to compare compare the benches uh, in one sense because Milwaukee, you know, that those those guys. They play more, um, they give more, so they're they're better. Um, and and this has been an issue for the Raptor bench the entire season. But part of that issue has been they haven't had everybody in the lineup, so they haven't really had a chance to establish any kind of you know bench culture or bench continuity. And Nick Nurse is yeah, he changes starters. We'll start this guy. We'll start that guy. He has so many different lineups. That being said, they just have to do what they did last night. Um, give enough uh, from a playmaking floor game standpoint, although you'd love to see more scoring, but give what you can in the other areas to give your starters a rest. I mean, the Raptors had 43 rebounds, and they had, you know, 18, 20 from the bench. Yeah, 18, almost half, yep. Yeah, so, you know... um, if they're doing those things and they're not turning the ball over, um, you want your bench to increase a lead 
or to or to hold a lead and not slip. If they can go in there and not slip, then you know maybe there's there's hope that they can kind of develop and and uh, you know help the starters out. But you know, yeah, your starters are logging a lot of minutes. But if that's what you need to do to win games, that's what you need to do. Yeah, so the Raptors again get the victory yesterday over the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, sitting a game above 500 now as they get set for Utah coming up on Friday night at Scotiabank Arena. And then it's the Pelicans on Sunday, so a couple of home games coming up. In fact, you extend beyond that uh, with the Phoenix Suns coming up next week as well. The Raptors now sitting in seventh in the Eastern Conference at 18-17 and 17 as they leapfrog the uh, Wizards, who lost last night, uh, the Charlotte Hornets. They've leapfrogged them as well, even though Charlotte's got... Um, two more victories they have two more losses so the raptors based on winning percentage are uh, just a tick ahead of the hornets hence the reason toronto now sitting in seventh as we speak right now uh, maybe to put a bow on the raptors let's hear from nick nurse after the ball game last night just uh, a a general comment about uh, assessing his team looking at his team right now sitting at 18 and 17 well it's a good win right steven i think it's a good win i think you're right on the on the on the back end of a back-to-back, but, you know, again, it's just, um, just wanting to see some progress with this group and figure some things out. And, um, it was, it was good. I think the thing we figured out tonight is we didn't have our, our best, um, juices flowing, right. They're just, that's just no, no other way to say it than that. But, it's a long game and you hang in there and you find a way to get them flowing and then you start playing really good defensively. So again, that's just a learning, learning thing and, and um, continue to make progress with this team. And I believe, Stephen, that Nick was mentioning off the top, our colleague Stephen Long from Sportsnet. Uh, you know, Jonesy, I was going to put a bow on the Raptors, but, but I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention, you know, Fred Van Bleet, another solid performance with 19 points, 5 of 10 from distance. He had 22 from both Ananobi and Trent. But we talked about him on, on yesterday's show, and, and as well as Van, v- Van Vliet, excuse me, has been playing of late, uh, Alvin told us yesterday, Alvin Williams, that the guy that's been standing out most to him is Pascal Siakam. And sure enough, uh, Pascal goes out last night, 13 of 23, 33 points, six assists, five rebounds, three steals, added a block. Uh, he looked fantastic last night. And I know you've mentioned it, uh, and it's been talked about. We, we've discussed the numbers are right there, right in line, uh, as good if not better than during his All-Star year. So as much as we've been focusing on Fred Van Vliet, understandably so, uh, we keep saying, hey, Maybe Pascal as well. I don't know if you're going to get two in this year, especially if the record isn't good, though. So you're going to have to really go on a run here the next month before the All-Star game if you got a hope of getting two guys in, let alone one. But, man, Siakam, uh, forget about has played well of late. He's playing well, period. The, you know, he had a little bit of a dip or, or, or a little bit of a lull when he first returned from the shoulder injury and was playing for the first time this season, and critics started creeping out of the woodwork for whatever reason, and, you know, some, some, not all, among the Raptor fan base. But that was short-lived. He has otherwise had an outstanding season across the board. Those people that were being critical, I, I, I had no time for them. I had, I, I'm sorry, I had zero time for them. Um, I, I know they want the best and they want the guy to play better. And it's like, hey, man, he's not playing well. But, but like, let's, let's, let's really examine the situation. And I've said this repeatedly. And if you've heard it, uh, you know, as, as part of the fan base, uh, you know, you can agree, disagree. It, it doesn't matter. I firmly believe this and I've watched this. 
And at a different level, I know this from coming back from surgery, coming back from, from injury. Pascal came back from shoulder surgery where he was off for months. Mm -hmm. He couldn't work out in the off season. He could not work out. So not only is he recovering from an injury, he's recovering and, and, and he, can't, he can't work out. He can't do anything. And the other guys get into training camp and they start to catch their wind and their legs and they have preseason games to ease into it. You have the start of the season. He comes back when all of that has been established. And, oh, yeah, you're the best player, and the other team's going to give you most of the attention as an all-NBA player, as an all-star. And you haven't had that, that, uh, you know, that prep period, that, that get-in-shape, uh, work-your-way-into-it period. And, yeah, he, 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 he played lousy, but what do you expect? And now... He's putting the extra work in. Uh, you know, he's probably watching video. He's doing all these things. He's playing at an all-star level again. So for those people that were like, oh, you know, they, they were all, all over him, I just, just, you know, look at this whole situation. You know, look at the whole situation. And, um, you know, you, you, can't, you can't make snap judgments uh, without examining everything that's going on. And I... I I love the way he's playing right now. All right, let's look at some other games last night um, across the association. And let's maybe start uh, with not necessarily the result, um, but an incident that happened in said game. Uh, the result was the Miami Heat beating the Portland Trailblazers 115-109. Uh, this doesn't necessarily play as well on radio because you can't see it, but hopefully you saw the highlights on Sportsnet or you've seen them online or whatever. Kyle Lowry Jonesy ejected from the game last night, and I don't even know how else to describe it other than for tossing the ball to the referee. <laughs> I mean, it was he didn't whip it at him. He didn't, like, throw a touchdown to him. He didn't fire it at his chest or his face. He literally, if I'm not mistaken, sort of underhand or sidehand, just sort of flicked the ball, tossed the ball over to the ref while not saying a word. You and I often talk on our broadcast, oh, there might have been a magic word. His mouth was shut. He tossed the ball to the official and got ejected. I don't know what I was watching other than some dude on an ego trip on a power trip because it made zero, zero sense to me. They always, E, they, they <laughs> I say this, um, having, <laughs> how do I put this nicely? Um, having been nicely. there, have, having been there in a different life, officials are human and they sometimes officiate personality rather than the game. And I, and I know this and I have teammates at the university level and at the uh, senior men's level that can vouch for me. You get a personality, and I will readily admit I was not a, not a nice guy when I was playing. Hey, we're keeping score. I'm trying to win. And I was chirping all the time. I wanted every call. I knew every rule. Um, I got technical fouls for not with histrionics, but showing up the refs around rules. You know, uh, uh, just a quick story. I, I got a technical foul for telling the ref he couldn't count. You have on a five-second count or on a 10-second count in the backcourt, the rule says once 80% of the count is expired, you cannot grant a timeout. 
and I'm guarding a guy on the inbounds. It's a one-point game. We're the number two team in the country. We're playing the number one team in the country. We're pressing. It's like we got nine guys on the floor. They can't get the ball, and I'm pressuring the ball. And I, we get to about three, and I'm going, five seconds, five seconds, as I'm waving my arms trying to hail a cab. And then the guy turns, who's guarding, inbounding the ball, and goes, you know, timeout. And, and, uh, and the referee gives him a timeout. I said, that wasn't five seconds. He goes, no, I was at four. I said, four? Four out of five is 80%. You can't grant a timeout when the guy's at 80%. And he goes, no, well, I was close to four. It's my count. It's my judgment. I said, then you can't count. Boom, technical foul. I probably deserved it. But they, if somebody else might have said that, maybe in a different way, they don't get a technical. And I, I firmly believe that at times officials officiate personality rather than the player. And Kyle's got that personality, and he's got that 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 kind of grinding, I want everything, you know, uh, I know the rule as well as you, and, and when, he, you know, he points out they're wrong or, like, that stays with people. So, and, and the officials talk. So I can see, Lance Kennedy messaged me at, I know Lance is on the line here with us. I think I got Lance's text at 12.30 a.m. Did you see that? That's awful, that ejection. <laughs> and that's exactly, I was saying the same thing. It's personalities that are officiated sometimes, Eric. Uh, with all due respect to the great officials out there, they're human, and, and it happens. Well, I was I was going to not mention the name, but I should. You know, I, I shouldn't be like the, the nice Canadian guy trying to protect the fellow Canadian. If we're going to call a dude out, we'll call a dude out. It, the official was Canadian, Matt Calio, uh, who we've had on the show. And to your point, personalities, maybe a bad day. Maybe a missed moment. I, and I've got to assume, and this is where I will cut Matt a little bit of slack and just officials in general, Jonesy. One of the things I often, and, and listen, if I was an NBA coach, let alone player, but certainly coach, I don't think I'd last. I would either be fired or I'd be dead because I would have a heart attack. For, like, I do, I do not like being wrong, I admit. I don't like being wrong. It happens so rarely, Jonesy, that I just I don't like being wrong. And when I see stuff when we're broadcasting games where it is so blatantly obvious that there was or wasn't a foul or, or something did or didn't happen, and, and it's, it's clear, it's clear, I, I, I would get so tired of just saying, you know what, just watch the tape at the end of the night. Just, if, if for no other reason, just text me and say, yep, you were right. You were right. I, I, like, I don't know why. I need that vindication. I need, that, I need to know that at least you acknowledge that you saw finally what I saw and you were wrong. And I've got to assume when Matt Calio sees that after the fact, he's going to go, yep, I was wrong. You know, because there is no other way to, to, to say otherwise. Unless, again, unless Kyle Lowry's a ventriloquist and he was saying something between his teeth that we couldn't read or we couldn't hear or we didn't know of, it was bad. So the Canadian, you know, check out the tape, and I'm sure he's probably sitting in his hotel room going, oh, boy, yeah, that's not a good look. Or, or even just other plays in general, right, that officials miss or get wrong. Yeah. They see after the fact and go, yeah, Nick Nurse is right on that one. I missed that one or whatever it may be. And, just as, and, and, and from the same point, they should be watching games going, got that one right, got that one right. Yep, I nailed that one. Yep, coach was wrong there. Yep, player was wrong there. Because by and large, and I'd say this not just for NBA refs, but for officials in general, for as much as we as broadcasters and fans and everything else, as much as society at large, sports fans, we complain about officials. I don't know what the number actually is, 
but I would arbitrarily put it at at least 75%, if not 90 or 95% of the time, they get it right. Yeah, they do, Eric. And I, I think the NBA guys, I saw a stat a couple of years ago that it was like, 97 point something practically 90 that seems a little high but okay <laughs> i mean you know depending and, and part of that i'm sure is interpretation and interpretation yeah. of the rule but and and i'll say this and anybody that wants to debate me and i've said it for years uh you give me a harder game of the major four to officiate um and and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come to blows there's nothing harder than basketball the only thing i could compare to is football where if they wanted to they could call holding on every play but there the nba you can call something on every single sequence like the one that we're on now and we saw it the other night they called they called a a, a carry on on somebody and i don't remember who it was siakam. Siakam. they called it on siakam and i forget who they were playing um san antonio oh, oh no 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 it was the clippers and Reggie Jackson needs to put that thing in a bag and carry it over center. Oh no, because... I'm just saying, but the call the call was Siakam the other night, just yeah. two nights ago, hundred yeah. percent was. But the one that we were talking about that they should have called a million times was absolutely Reggie Jackson. You're right about that. Yep. They they've just let that go. And I mean you can call a foul on every play. And uh, you know, I know for a fact there are times when they go to the replay uh from 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 talking to to you know uh, talking to people, talking to other officials, uh, you know, hearing side conversations that ego gets in the way. And Doc Rivers said it best a couple of years ago on the coach's challenge. That guy's not going to admit he's wrong in front of 20,000 people in the arena. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's going to be hard to get him to do that. It has to be seriously irrefutable evidence to have him say, yeah, I was wrong and have it overturned. Or maybe you've got veterans in the replay uh, center that saying, uh, "No, Jonesy, you you got that one. No, I see this. I see that." And you've got a, that one should be overturned. I mean, my feeling is, it's like when you send a kid to the office and you're the teacher. However, the principal decides to deal with it, you got no say because you had your chance already. And and uh, you know when it goes to the replay center, they should make the final call from. Uh, you know, from a, a point of, uh, you know, neutrality uh, and not having any skin or emotion in the game. So uh, it, it's, it's the toughest of the major sports to officiate. There's no, there's no question in my mind. No question. Another game of note last night. I mean, there were a few games of note of a pretty busy night in the association with 11 games. San Antonio on the second night of the back-to-back uh, after getting blown out by the Raptors, goes into Boston and beats the Celtics. Utah with a big win over the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and also Dallas beating Golden State, holding the Warriors to only 82 points. Wow. And the Dallas Mavericks win by 17 on a night where they put the number 41 in the Raptors. Dirk Nowitzki seeing his number retired. The ceremony uh, last night involving Jason Kidd and Mark Cuban and so many more. But uh, uh, obviously a no-brainer. One of the greats of all time, Dirk Nowitzki, seeing the 41 go up into the Raptors in Dallas. And uh, maybe we can talk about uh, Dirk a little bit with our next guest that's going to join us uh, after a quick commercial. Chris Carino, the voice of the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Because I'm sure that uh, Steve Nash had plenty to say about Dirk yesterday as Brooklyn goes out and beats the Indiana Pacers 129 
121. And if you uh, if you want a nice little tribute or a nice little uh, trip down memory lane, if you're on Instagram, check out Steve Nash's Instagram handle. Oh, yeah. He posted some pictures of him and Durkin, starting with the one that we all <laughs> we all saw so many times over the years. The two of them absolutely bombed out of their tree in a bar somewhere very young early in their career mugging hamming it up for the camera the the most ridiculous goofy drunken picture i think i've seen in a long time from anybody uh and he 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 had a nice little tribute to to dirk and some family shots as well with dirk holding his kids i'm sure he's uncle dirk to to steve's kids and whatnot um so we we probably didn't spend enough time here jonesy talking about Nowitzki, but i'm sure we can dig into it a little bit more with chris carino yeah I'd i'd love to and i remember um Early on uh, in Steve Nash's career, uh, 97, 98 maybe, um, he might have been a rookie or, or just uh, not, not really the, the Steve Nash that we know now. And he was in Dallas, and I had a chance to uh, do some TV with him. And he was talking about Dirk then. He said, oh, man, the guy's hilarious. Um, and just making fun of kind of Dirk coming over from Germany and learning some of the uh, you know some of the the the, the, the street vernacular and and, and um, you know the, the the schoolyard talk. Take that with you when somebody gets dunked on. And 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 when he stopped, I remember Steve telling me. And by the way, this guy is a, is going to be a freaking unbelievable player. And you know it it turned out that he was he was right on many accounts. Let's hear from Dirk Nowitzki then, Jonesy, before we get to Karina. We'll, we'll still talk to Chris about Dirk Nowitzki and the Steve Nash, uh, you know, friendship, relationship, the bond they've had from, from their years together. But uh, before we get to, to Chris, let's hear from Dirk Nowitzki. And we'll start off maybe uh, simply thanking the folks that uh, cheered for him for years, that, that filled that building, that, that, that saw him win a championship. Of course, the fans. Here's Dirk Nowitzki. What I appreciate most was... This pillar supported me during during the tough, tough playoff times and playoff losses. So, you know what? That pillar is you. That is the fans. That is. Thank you. made it through without getting emotional but you guys you guys get me every time so thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for making this journey incredible and thank you for taking in a, a long lanky kid over 20 years ago and, and making him one of your own i'll be always grateful thank you some great words there from Dirk Nowitzki, and you can't uh, think about the Dallas Mavericks and the impact that Dirk had on that team without thinking of uh, the personality that is the owner as well, uh, Mark Cuban. Here's Dirk Nowitzki on Cuban. He always believed in me, and he always supported me on and off the floor. Uh, he was super competitive, and we developed a great relationship, and he even came to my bachelor party. Uh, he loves loves the referees i mean loves them um but what i honestly what i appreciate most about the guy is his his huge heart and he's been super loyal to me so you guys know i'm talking about mark uh mark mark you're uh, you're known as as a tough businessman but i got to know uh, a whole lot of different side and i'll always remember in 2010 
I was a free agent, and I come to your house, and uh, we shared stories. We both got emotional, and we decided to extend a couple more years, and we ended up winning the championship in year one. So. Thanks, thanks, Mark, for everything you've done for me and my family, and I will always be grateful. Thank you. You know, Jonesy, what stands out more than anything as well, beyond the championship and the, the career, and again, one of the all-time greats, the fact that he's doing it with one team, right? The fact that he can sit back and say, I'm one of those guys that played an entire career with one franchise. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, that's noteworthy in itself. It, it is the fact that... Um, you know, he, he never left. And uh, his one championship to me uh, means more than guys that hopscotch around and pick their spot where they can win. It, it, it's it, it, the comparison to me right now is like is like Giannis or, you know, Jordan back in the day where they went to um, a bad team. A team that wasn't winning. I mean, even, even our guy Magic, uh, he went to a, you know, he went to a storied franchise. They had a down year, they had a blip, and they they got him, and then all of a sudden they rose back up. Not, not to take his championships away, but it was a little bit. It, to me, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's hard to win, and I think Dirk had a really difficult path. And then you throw in the fact that he was an international player, and and had to had to you know assimilate into the American culture and all of that, too. So the, the In guy, Texas. Oh, <laughs> I won't even go there. Give the guy credit. That's all I can say. Give him credit. Give him lots of credit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's well-deserving of all the accolades that come his way. All right. Uh, so, again, Dirk Nowitzki, retiring, uh, retired jersey, I should say, last night. Been retired for a while. Speaking of retired players, though, maybe he does want to get a 10-day. I know it was joked about last night by Jason Kidd, but we've got Gerald Green now, assistant coach of the Houston Rockets, speaking of Texas, trying to enter the uh, the G League uh, bubble now and, 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 and uh, the G League Ignite and, and seeing if he can get his name back into the mix and maybe get himself a 10-day as emergency deals still being signed all over the association and uh, guys looking to see if they can get back in there and, and – and, and, and get another taste of the NBA. Speaking of which, finally getting his first taste last night, Kyrie Irving in the lineup as the Brooklyn Nets beat the Indiana Pacers. And we will discuss Kyrie's return with the voice of the Nets, Chris Carino, when we continue on Smith & Jones. My parents, Elgus and Jay Dub. Uh, thank you for for just your your sacrifice growing up. I played about three or four sports at the same time. Uh, they were driving me from from gym to gym, and they were they they were the best parents uh, and so supportive that uh, that I could hope for. So uh, thanks to my parents and love you guys, and so happy you guys could be here today. Uh, my my father-in-law is here today. So Bernd, thanks for coming all the way from Sweden. Um, but what I appreciate most about you is your daughter. Uh, uh, so there's that. So <laughs> that's outstanding. I was gonna say, I, if you he if always had a great sense of humor. In law, if, 
if you're, if you're an in-law and you that, get right? a shout-out, that's a pretty good thing. But, you, yeah, you love the dry sense of humor. I absolutely love it. I love it. <laughs> that, of course, the voice of Dirk Nowitzki after uh, his um, jersey retirement ceremony yesterday. And we are going to talk about, uh, clearly, the return to the lineup for uh, Kyrie Irving with the Brooklyn Nets last night and the Nets getting the victory over the Pacers. But as we bring into the conversation, the radio voice of the Brooklyn Nets, Chris Carino. Chris, uh, first of all, great to talk to you. Happy New Year. But one of the things I wanted to hit you with right off the top is, um, you know, you're an NBA fan. You're an NBA broadcaster, not just calling Nets games, but national games as well. You've been around the league a long time. And now the the, the coach of the team that you work for, that you cover, is is best friends with Nowitzki. There's got to be at least one story or, or a couple of anecdotes, something that you can pass along uh, as we talk a lot about Dirk Nowitzki and what we saw last night. Oh, uh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> you know, Steve was asked about Sorry, it. I mean, there, was, there were no real funny anecdotes or funny stories that came out. So let's not waste time. I don't have any. I, I apologize. None, uh, no, Chris, let's put apologize. it this way. I, I put you on the spot. I put you on the spot with that. And I already talked <laughs> about Nash putting up the Instagram post, so he might not have said much because maybe he was saving it for his pictures and in the, the, the little tribute that he already did on social media. So that's my bad no, for, there was for nothing. bringing you on to talk Kyrie and then throwing you Dirk. <laughs> there was nothing. I apologize. There was nothing that Steve could say. I mean, <laughs> nothing that nothing for public consumption, I'm sure. No, so. I mean, a great teammate. I mean, he said all the nice things and everything. But, yeah, and, again, uh, I don't get a lot of off-the-record palling around, hanging out stories because I'm doing these things mostly by Zoom these days, which is not yeah. ideal. Yeah. Yeah, it's what, it's what we're all about right now, Chris. But yeah. um, uh, th- there's been a lot of <laughs> – a lot of water under the bridge uh, when it comes to Kyrie Irving. And, and before we get to uh, into any of that or, or some of that, how did he look last night? Like what, you know, you saw, you saw him looked, on the floor for the first time. Jones, he looked like Kyrie Irving. I mean, he, he, he was a little rusty at the start, but, um, you know, missed a few shots. But he looked fantastic. He looked fresh. He's in great shape. Um, he had all the moves working. And they needed him in the fourth quarter. He, he, you know, Kyrie has always been a little bit of an underrated defender because he's very capable and he's got quick hands and he's fast. And that showed up when they turned up the defense in the fourth quarter to get a you know comfort behind win that they needed. So uh, it was a great it, it was a great night for him in terms of getting back and looking like himself. And, and you saw what he was able to do for the Nets, especially late in the game, close the game. You know, Chris. It, it, it was certainly great to see him back from a basketball perspective. Uh, we don't necessarily have to spend a ton of time on this, uh, but the decision to bring him back, I know it's been talked about for a couple of weeks now since Brooklyn came out and said, yeah, he is coming back and we are going to do this. Why did they ultimately kind of uh, you know, flip their decision and say, all right, even though we kind of dug our heels in initially, we're going to allow this to happen. We're going to allow him to play in the road games and he still can't go at home. Why, why did they kind of change their tune? Well, because this, the, the, just the look of everything just changed. I mean, they did it in the beginning of the year because it was fresh and it was new, and they said, hey, we're going we're gonna to do it this way. We don't think that just being a part-time guy is going to be good for our team. And then what happens? The season starts. You go through the rigors, and suddenly you're realizing that you're putting an immense amount of pressure right now on James Harden and Kevin Durant. They're playing a ton of minutes just to win some of these games against, you know, the average teams in the league. You're not beating the really good teams. They all of a sudden then got hit with 
you know, four guys go out in health and safety protocols. And then a couple of days later, another two. Next thing you know, you're up to 13. Now, that all happened as they decided now to bring Kyrie back. Uh, so they thought they were going to get him back while they still had a bunch of guys out for a couple of weeks. And then what happens? Kyrie tests positive when he comes back. So um, he, they, you know, so originally the plan was, hey, he'll be help for us. He'll be reinforcements for us when we're, when we're, uh, we're depleted now. We're going on the road for that Christmas trip in Portland and L.A. And, um, and then suddenly he wasn't able to do that. So, you know, now when he comes back, it's, it's when they have a full complement of their players. But at the time, um, they were drowning. You know, they were drowning. They were they had 13 guys out at one point. You know, in health and safety protocols, they had a bunch of 10-day guys. Durant and KD. I mean, Durant and Harden are getting, uh, you know, just pummeled with their minutes and their pressure on them. And you know, it just seemed at the right time that was the decision to make. And then, you know, they, again, you, you take everybody's temperature. You, you talk to your players, your coaches, your management. They all get together. They figure this out. And they go, hey, you know what? For whenever we can get them, it's going to help. Maybe we were being a little too stubborn. Now, he's being stubborn by not getting vaccinated. We know that. But maybe we were being a bit stubborn by not letting him play. And I think that's, um, that's ultimately what it changed everybody's mind. Chris, the, the chemistry involved uh, in, in creating a winner, the, the, the championship chemistry, um, you know, it's got to be created on the court, but off the court as well. Uh, do you see... Like, how do you do it on the court when he's not able to, I mean, he's able to practice probably, but he's not able to be in games in moments when uh, it's tight and you, you know, you're, you're hardened by the fire of close games, win or lose. Um, how, do, how do they do that going forward or, or what's the best way to do it going forward when he can't play in every game? Well, I think... I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the, the chemistry aspect of it, but I will say this. It's a, it's a known thing. It's a certainty. All right, you're going into these two games. We do not have Kyrie Irving. It's not like if you, uh, you know, had a player and all of a sudden in the third quarter he gets hurt or he fouls out or something like that, where now you have to adjust on the fly. We know going in there's, we have, there's two home games coming up, Friday and Sunday. Kyrie is not going to be part of the team. That gives an opportunity to other guys now to play, and they'll have to show that they can stay in the rotation. You know, it's an, how many times you see a guy get hurt or players miss games, and other guys now get an opportunity that they may never have had, and you find something. They play hard. You go, wow, we've got to give this guy some minutes so that when we do have our full complement of players, we know we can rely on this guy. I mean, I can give you a couple examples right now of guys like David Duke and Cam Thomas who have gotten opportunities that they wouldn't have ordinarily gotten because guys have been out. So you find what you have, and I, and I think that's it. I think it's the certainty of, all right, we know. you got a road game. Kyrie's going to play. That's going to help. We'll be able to take you know, a little of the gas off Durant and, and Harden here and play him. I think Kyrie is such a great player. And we understand. I understand all the off the court stuff, and you know, over the years and, and things like that. But for the most part, I think really that in, in looking at his history with his teammates, I mean, there's really been only one, and I mean, it's obviously a high profile relationship that just had seemed to sour, and that was his relationship with LeBron James. But when you when you hear from all his teammates in the past, 
even Boston, where people thought it was so dysfunctional, his teammates loved him. I mean, Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and, and Jalen Brown, those guys have nothing but great things to say about Kyrie Irving. I know his net teammates, you know, from a personal standpoint, really, really like the guy. And and that's been his thing. He's a he's a genuine person. He's a very likable person, you know, in, in his in his relationships. So I think from that aspect of it, I I just think that Maybe if he was a different type, if he was the type of guy that was aloof and nobody liked him, then this could be an issue. But uh, I think somehow with this group, they'll make it work. Speaking with Chris Carino, radio voice of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Chris, I guess the million-dollar question, Jonesy was kind of speculating yesterday or hypothesizing about, oh, could you could you potentially uh, try and set it up so that you make sure that, you know, a, a game seven you don't want to have on your home floor so that you could have Kyrie Irving yeah. in the lineup. How does this play out come playoff time? Because, I mean, aside from, honestly, I can't imagine tossing games, throwing games, et cetera, but uh, aside from trying to orchestrate it so that you have more road games than home games, this is going to be quite the uh, the juggle, let's just say, is the best word, uh, once the postseason rolls <laughs> well, around. I guess the, the answer would be just make sure you win it in six. You know, um, <laughs> you, you're going to have you're now going to have them for the road game, so uh, it, it's not going to be as much of a uh, disadvantage. And it's funny because this team is now uh, 14 and three on the road, which is the best road record in the NBA. And I mean, Kyrie's only been there for one of those, so um, they've they've actually played immensely better on the road this year than they have at home. They're only a couple of games over 500 at home. Um, I, I, I don't know the reason for that totally, but they, they do relax a little bit more, I think, at home. But, yeah, I think I think the other aspect of it is, you know, I, May and June is, is kind of a long way away right now, and there are a lot of things that could happen between now and then. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with the COVID numbers. Um, there's the possibility that the city could – you know, change their rules and allow him to play. Maybe there's a chance that after COVID rips through the league like it has, maybe the league, um, something happens there. Maybe there's some kind of agreement with the league and the city. I, I don't know. There's there's some, just like we didn't anticipate this was going to happen at the beginning of the year, We you maybe can't anticipate what may happen down the road. So, and then, you know, he's still... He's still able to change his mind if he likes and gets vaccinated. I, I don't see. I probably see that as the last option right now, um, only because I don't know how he comes to that conclusion and saves face. But uh, you know, in terms of not looking like he was hypocritical or whatever it may be, but I, I think even after the game last night when he talked about it, he kind of just like I'm taking it one day at a time. These things, you know, things can change, things can happen. So, uh, yeah, I, I. I I, I see what you're saying. I, I we all see it. We all see it's that freight train that maybe that's that big light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know what's coming at us. Um, I think yeah, winning six. I think that's the that's right now with the information at hand. That's it. We tell you winning six. Hey Chris, what's a guy like Patty Mills meant? Um, boy, he was. I, I know in the game the other day against the Raptors, um, you know he 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 went for thirty plus and. He, I mean, from the outside, I've always admired his game as one of those self-made kind of players. And he just, he just from again, from the outside, he just seems to fit and be a real yeah. good veteran fit with, with that club. 
Well, Patty is a, Patty is just the guy that you invite to the party because he's going to give it great energy. You know, like he's just he. You get on an elevator with Patty, and it's just fun all of a sudden. Like he's just got this beaming energy. Some people are energy vampires, as the author John Gordon would say. Some people are energy givers, and and Patty Mills is an energy giver. You just feel good. He just gives a certain positive energy when he's on the floor. Um, he's played great this year, and. Yeah, I think he's second in the league in uh, – or third in the league in three-pointers made. Uh, second in the league in catch-and-shoot threes made this year. We've always known he's had that aspect of this game. He's He's been invaluable to the Nets. Now, he's another one of those guys, though, that I think has been a victim to not having Kyrie Irving around. And you'd say, well, wait a minute. He's getting more playing time. He's kind of taking on that role that Kyrie Irving had. Yes, but I don't know if he's – if he's a, at this point in his career, especially, is a 33-minute-a-game guy. And I think you're starting to see that lately. He's the only guy that's played every game. Um, two nights, two games ago, he went scoreless. Didn't score until the fourth quarter last night. Actually ended up having one of the bigger shots of the game. But he's another guy that could benefit, I think, from being more of a 20-minute-a-game guy than being what they're putting on him now. And now some of that also has to do with the fact that Joe Harris has been out. So they've been asking Patty to do more. But I think he is a just incredible guy to have around. And I think if he can settle into that 18 to 20 minutes a game off the bench, uh, you'll, you'll see the benefits of him even more. The Raptors won't see the Nets uh, for another month and a half, almost two months, uh, but then they will see Kyrie Irving one night and not the next. Or maybe I guess it might be the flip the other way around. But, <laughs> yeah. hey, well, that said, that's if he's well, allowed either to now, camp, right? I suppose I as well. Because I don't I, know not, if he'll yeah, be granted but, an exemption to get in here. Yeah, I think I think you're looking at you're going to avoid him both games, I would believe, right now as it, as it looks. Yeah, well, again, as you said, Maybe stranger things will happen. Things could yeah. things could unfold differently. Who knows? It'll be uh, on the 28th of February and then on the 1st of March. Raptors at Brooklyn then come home to host the Nets on back-to-back nights. Chris, always love chatting with you. Appreciate the time, and we'll look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks, Chris. Guys, I can't wait to see you again. Take care. Take care. There is Chris Carino, uh, longtime voice of the Brooklyn Nets and uh, calls games nationally as well. Does stuff with the National Football League. He's uh, one of the best. Appreciate him coming on the show today, folks. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well.